Pastor Leon and his wife Sheila founded Gospel Tabernacle Church in 1982 in the heart of Lawrence, South Carolina. Since then, the Lord has richly blessed and increased the ministry and family of Gospel Tabernacle Church. Here at Gospel Tabernacle, we believe in the power of the Word of God to change the hearts and lives of believers. Gospel Tabernacle is a family church ministering to the whole family through the charismatic teaching ministry. Today's message will grow your faith and draw you close to the Lord as you open your heart to God's Word and His Spirit. How many is excited about the Lord Jesus? Somebody say amen. How many is excited about your life? You enjoy living? You enjoy living for Jesus? He makes it a joy, doesn't he? He gives you just joy, unspeakable, and full of glory, as the Bible tells us. He is a mighty good God, and I just love him, and I give him all praise. Now, thank him for his presence that continually goes with us and for his spirit that he fills us with and that you can always know where he's at all the time because he's right here with me today. I'm trusting he's with you, too, if you've invited him in your heart. Well, he sure is. And so just make it a, a practice in your life of sensing Jesus in your life. It was just some time ago. I really was in the middle 1600s uh, that a fellow by the name of Brother Lawrence, actually that wasn't his real name, but he was a Russian, and uh, uh, he came to Christ, and when he did, he wanted to give his all unto Jesus, and in that period of time, which is somewhat, what, almost 400 some odd years ago, in the middle 1600s, uh, he joined a monastery, uh, didn't marry, didn't have children, and just devoted his entire life to the Lord, and he adopted a new name, and his name was called Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence talked about, uh, and is, I guess, the, the heart of who he was as he ministered uh, in that uh, monastery that he was in, and that he didn't have a degree or seminary degree or anything like that, but he was just ministering there, doing whatever he could, and he spent his whole life there, lived to be 80 years of age, which was a long period of time in the 1600s, and he lived that period of time, and he wrote uh, uh, some writings that have been put together over the years, and uh, the primary thing that he talked about was practicing the presence of God, practicing the presence of God. And he came to the decision in his life that everything he did, and he talked about it, even in his menial chores that he did, preparing food for the other monks that were in the monastery and uh, cleaning around the monastery, just everything he did, whatever he did, he always wanted to make sure that the presence of God was in and around and filled his life. And he called it practicing the presence of God. That's what I began to talk about a little bit last week. We'll head there in a minute, but I hope you've got your Bible. Let's make a confession as we do. Everybody say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have, and I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, I'll never be the same. I'm about to receive the indestructible, the incorruptible, the ever-living seed, the Word of God. I'll never be the same, never, 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 in Jesus' name. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hey, that sounds great. That sounds good. Let me sort of get keyed in here today. All right. Turn with me to the book of John. And I just began talking about this subject just a little bit uh, last week as we came together. And I want to continue along those lines today. And so we're going to break some new ground here in just a few moments. But let me just give you a little bit of our text that I use uh, to come at this scripture and to look at it today or this, this understanding uh, that we're talking about in practicing the presence of of God, practicing the presence of God. John chapter 14, verse 21. 
The Bible says, he that hath my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. So right away, we know how to tell if people love Jesus or not. If they have the commandments of Jesus, not of the law, but the commandments of Jesus, and they keep them. They actually do what Jesus told them to do. He it is that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved to my Father. It brings you into a special relationship. I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. In other words, I'll make myself known to him. I'll make my presence known to him. For that person that is walking in that relationship with God that Jesus is talking about here, you ought to be always able to sense the presence of God in your life. You should never feel like you are alone. You should never feel like that you are, uh, someone said this to me many years ago, well, you've got yourself out on a limb now, don't you? I said, it doesn't really matter. I'm out here with Jesus. And it's not the limb that's holding me up. It's Jesus that's holding me up. And and so if you have that understanding, it doesn't matter if you're out on a limb or on, on the trunk of the tree. It doesn't matter. Jesus is with you. And so we want a manifestation of Jesus in our life. You should want. I should want. All of us should want. And I'm persuaded that we do. When people look at us, we want them not to see us, but to see Jesus. When people look at us, we don't want to, to uh, see us with our faults or our good points or bad We want them to see Jesus. When I speak, I want people to hear the words of Jesus. We want everything. We, we want to be wall-to-wall God, as I heard someone say to women. I'm just filled with the presence of God. Well, Jesus, as he mentioned that, uh, Judas, not Iscariot, verse 22, said, Lord, how is it that you'll manifest yourself unto us and not unto the world? Notice that the world does not know the God you know. The world will never, as long as they're in the world, experience the God that you experience. So when you talk to the world about spiritual things, it just went right on top of their head. They don't have a clue what you're talking about. We wouldn't expect them to. They're not even in the arena. They're not even in the same place. They're not even in the ballpark. They are not even in the same mindset as you. And so it's the, the world doesn't know it. And that's what Judas is asking here. How is it that you're going to show us yourself and we'll see you, but the rest of the world won't see you? Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, Well, if a man loves me, he'll keep my words. There it is a second time. Second time. If a man loves me, he'll keep my words. We sing the song, Oh, How I Love Jesus, and rightly so. We should sing it. Absolutely. But it's not just a, oh, how I love Jesus, and then a walk away from him and not have service that shows that love unto him. It's not just saying it and not doing it. It's saying it and doing it. Jesus said, if a man love me, he'll keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we'll come unto him, and we'll make our abode with him, or our presence with him, our dwelling place with him. We will live with him. How many got Jesus on the inside? Somebody say Amen. Hey, this be the song we sung years ago. I've got Jesus on the inside, working on the outside, and oh, what a change in my life. Remember that song, Jesus on the inside. He's working on the outside. What a change he's made in our life. Verse 24, he that loves me not keeps not my sayings. The person that is not doing the sayings of Christ Jesus, they are not loving him. Keep not my sayings. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. In other words, this is not just something I came up with lately here for a preaching topic. And somebody said, hey, that a preach. It's just not that. This is a word that the Father has given me. 
Jesus is speaking the word of the Father. So that's our text, and that's what we looked at, and that's what I'm talking about, practicing the presence or the manifestation of Jesus in our life. We begin to look, and last week we looked just a couple of things, uh, or, or just one topic that we talked about. How do you begin this process? And, and it's so simple. It's so easy. It's not difficult. It's very, very, very easy to do. It's not hard. I, I was so saddened just a few days ago when I read a post on Facebook of a, a youth minister friend of mine. And I called Sheila. I said, come and look at this. This is amazing. And this person talked about the stresses of life and talked about the pressures of life and how hard it was to serve God and how difficult it was to make a way with God. And, and just all the problems and stuff that you encounter that you have no answers for and you can't do anything about it. And I thought, wow, does this person know God or not? I mean, you, you get to that kind of place where you hear, and, and it's just in a different world. And then, after that, spoke two or three verses of Scripture. I said, why don't he do those two or three verses of Scripture? Why don't he do what he just said do? If he did that, he wouldn't feel like God was a million miles away. No, you feel like God's very close to you. He's very close. He is my very best friend. Somebody say, Jesus is my very best friend. Say it like this. Stretch your hands toward the heaven. Just sort of don't look at me, maybe, and you want to look up and see a light, whatever you see, but look past it. Say, Jesus, Jesus. you are my very best friend. Very best friend. Amen. Make that a reality in your life, and your life will never, ever be the same. Never, ever. Okay. How is it then I practice the presence of God? It's, it's very, very simple, as I said. It starts up here in the mind. And we talked about that. It starts with your thinking patterns on what you're thinking. Because you will, as long as you have this things that I ought to do, should do, wish I was doing, uh, commands of Scripture, even of Jesus, uh, rules, things I ought to do, principles I ought to live my life by, teachings of the quote-unquote church, all those things that are out there and some very good in, in their own way. But as long as they are out there and they do not become in here, it's going to be a religious thing for you that is so hard to do. I mean, religion is very, very hard to do. It's very tough to be religious and keep the rules of, of religious organizations and the doctrines of men and all those kind of things. Some of them are even good. But it's very, very hard to keep them unless there's a change on the inside. You've got to get your thinking right. You've got to get your mind right. And, and you've got to allow your mind to be renewed by the Word of God. Because we saw the problem in Romans 8, verse 6. The be carnally minded is death. You'll die if you just keep thinking like the world thinks. You won't have the life of God if you keep thinking like the world thinks. You'll be in the life of death, which the world gives you. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So my, my dear brother friend that I talked about, the youth minister, when he talked about his mind was confused and all the pressures and stress. Well, what did Jesus say? Be spiritually minded and you have life and peace. Well, not Jesus. Paul spoke. He said, be spiritually minded, you have life and peace. So you've got to get the mind right. You've got to get it spiritually minded. Not worldly minded, but spiritually minded. When you get it spiritually minded, then you'll have life and peace. And so it said, verse 7, because the carnal mind is the enemy against God. And if I keep my mind in the flesh and keep thinking like the world thinks and, and have the, the same responses in life that I have that are produced by my mind, that the world fed me, then I'm God's enemy. And so that doesn't sound like God's close to me. I haven't manifested anything. That's a problem. I have not manifested any of the presence of God if I have a worldly mind. We saw that. We saw in Romans 12, verse 1, where, where the Scripture tells us that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. In verse 2, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let this world conform you. Don't let the world get its hands on you and mold you and shape you 
like the world wants you to be. There's nothing out there but death. They'll shape you into everything that kills, steals, and destroys. That's what they want to do. And, and so don't be conformed to this world. Don't, don't allow it. I mean, my, my starting place is, if the world wants it, I don't. Now, I know the world might want to drink of water, and sometimes I do too, okay? But I start with this place, if the world wants it, I don't. You're going to have to convince me. If it's coming from the world, you're going to have to convince me. I mean, you know, some things you have to have on planet Earth to live and get by. But there are things in the world that will destroy you. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is it. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do I become a transformed person or experience transformation in my life? How does that happen? It does not happen. Listen carefully now. It does not happen that you say, oh, come down, put your hands on me, pastor, lay hands on me, cast out this old mind I've got, and have God put a new one inside of me, and all of a sudden I just think different. It does not work that way. It does not work that way. One way that I found out about this two weeks ago now, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, the Bible says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. A renewal has to take place. What is a renewal? I looked it up. What is a renewal? In the Greek meaning of the word, it means to renovate or reform. In other words, you get a house, we get a house that we, uh, out there, we want to remodel it, we take stuff out and put new stuff in. That's not what you're doing. You're not remodeling your mind. You're renewing your mind. You're taking the mind that you have and you are transforming that mind by renewal. It's being renewed by the Word of God. You're transforming that mind by the renewal of the mind. In, in other words, there ain't nothing wrong with your mind. Ain't nothing wrong with it. It's what you've been putting into it that's the problem. The mind is built and it functions based on whatever you feel it. The Bible says it, what, Luke chapter 6, when it tells us of the abundance of, of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever you feel in your mind over and over and over and over again, that's what's coming out. You say, I'm depressed. I know why you're depressed. Oh, you know about what so-and-so did to me. You know what my company said. You know what I heard on the news. No. Don't know any of that. What I know is what you've been listening to. You've been listening to depression. That's why you're depressed. If you weren't listening to depression, you won't be. Yeah, but you don't know. This is a circumstance. This is a situation. Hey, listen, we all got circumstances and situations. Amen? We all got them. It just depends on what you meditate on, what you think about them, and what you see as the answer to them. Those kind of things. Depression comes along when you lose hope, then you get depressed. If there's no hope, depression comes in. But how can you have no hope and have Christ walking with you day by day? You can't. You cannot. It's an impossibility. Do difficulties and challenges and problems of life come to all of us? They sure do. But where do we keep our mind is the problem. And so we have to renovate our mind. You take the mind that works perfectly right, even though it's producing depression and sorrow and gloom and doom, doubt and unbelief and fear and failure. It's producing all those things with that, that mind. You don't get rid of that mind and throw it away. You take that same mind, you weed out the weeds, get rid of all those bad things, start new input from the Word of God, and you start producing new things in your life. Amen. How many ever planted a garden? It's, I guess it's garden planting time already, isn't it, just about? And so what happens is, I mean, you, you don't go out there and somebody says, you're going to plant a garden this year? And she'll ask me, I'm going to plant a garden this year, you know, and that kind of stuff. 
And uh, I look in the back, and she says, where are you going to put it? I said, well, we put it out there for the last 25 years. That's where we've been putting it. Where are you going to put this year? I don't know. Let's go. Let's sell the house, move away, move somewhere else, and buy some new land, plant our garden. We don't do that. You put the garden in the same place. What do you do to that land? You put, you, you know, have clips in university, take a soil sample, those kind of things. You look at what ingredients it's got, what ingredients it's missing. And you add things into it or take things out or neutralize different things, the pH, different things that's in the land. You do what it needs to do to make that land productive. You rotate your crops. You don't plant the same thing, the same place that you did last year. Different things that you do, but you use the same thing. Why is it that you think that when you're going to renew your mind, you're going to throw your mind out the door? Here's why. Because that's the easy way to do it. Jesus, just take this thing out of me. No, you'd have a hole in the head for sure then, wouldn't you? If he took your mind out of you. No, your mind works fine. It works fine. You just got to cause it to think on the right things. And quit thinking on the bad things. You got to get the right input. It's a foolish thing to expect a different output if the input stays the same. And so then, we, we looked at that last week. We read from Philippians, that wonderful verse of Scripture. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, what things are honest, what things are just, what things are pure, what things are lovely, what things are good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And those things, he said, which you both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and then the God of peace shall be with you. And so I think right and I do right. Once you think right, that's there, then you begin to do right. When you do right, you put the laws of the kingdom, that what your man soweth, that shall he also reap, into force with you, and then it produces those results. I learned something here uh, just uh, listening to Dave Ramsey last week and that kind of thing, and I constantly try to refresh and listen to him, that kind of thing. And uh, he taught me how to get out of debt and that kind of stuff. But, but he said something that I had missed for so many years, and, uh, and I've listened to him for many years. And he said this, he said that when you make uh, baby steps, in other words, make incremental changes in your life to get out of debt, that same process, once you get out of debt, will make a millionaire out of you. Without trying. All you got to do is the same thing you did to get out of debt, keep doing that on the investing side rather than the losing side, and when you do that, it makes a millionaire. And he's so right, he's so true. I missed him saying it for many years. So, so you have to have not only the knowledge of what to do, but you have to do it. You have to put it into practice, put it into play in your life. So we talked about that, changing what you think. All right, let, let's go a little bit further. Look at John chapter 12, verse 49. And remember what Jesus said. John chapter 12, verse 49. Let's all go there. Brand new territory. Here we are. John 12, verse 49. Jesus said this. For I have not spoken of myself. I've not spoken to myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment. What I should say, what I should speak. Everybody say, say. Say, speak. Jesus said, when you hear me talking, what I'm saying and what I'm speaking to you is what the Father told me to say and speak. There is the key if you will, to Jesus' success. He is a sayer and a speaker of the word of the Father. Verse 50, he said, I know that his commandment is life everlasting. You start speaking the words of God, saying the words of God, 
It will bring life to every area of your life. It will revive you spiritually. It'll make you assured of your salvation. It'll get you to a place where you recognize Father God has a home for you in glory. And recognize that between now and then, you can have a good ride going there to glory. Some people headed to glory, but boy, they're on a terrible ride. Get yourself a good ride going to glory. Now, I'm not talking about on, Bill. I'm talking about in your mind, heart, and spirit. But then there's other things as well. That, that same spoken word of Jesus, same sayings of Jesus, when you've got those in your life too, it, it'll bring health to your flesh. The Bible said in the book of Proverbs chapter 4. It, it, it'll bring things to your financial life, to your, to your life and your uh, love life with your wife or uh, husband, as the case may be, and it should be the right case, as that may be. All those things will prosper in your life if you keep on doing the sayings and speaking of Jesus. That's how he did it. Verse 50, I know that his commandments is life everlasting. His commandments is life. And so I know if I do what Jesus said do, I know I'm going to be on the life side of the good things of God. And notice, whatsoever I speak, therefore, whatever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Boy, Jesus sort of repeats himself, doesn't he? He did it right here. He did it in the text we just read a few moments ago. I mean, he, he just wants you to get it. Somebody said, how long should I listen to the same sermon, same subject, same thought, until you're doing it? Until you are doing it. I looked at my study yesterday, and I spent all day in, in, in my study, and I'm, I'm looking in there, and I see some stuff. I said, hey, you know, I'm, I've never read that book. Why is it that I don't go to this new book I'm reading, and I sometimes go back to this old book that I've read a half a dozen times or a dozen? And the thing is this, you need to constantly, uh, what was it Peter who said, you, you need to constantly bring to remembrance those things. And there's some things that if you have let them slip, Hebrews says, we have a great salvation, don't let it slip. And, and so those things in your life, if you've let them slip, go back to them. Because if, if you learn one, two, and three on how to do it, you find yourself in failure. You don't need to be looking for four, five, and six. You need to be asking, am I still doing one, two, and three? And if one, two, and three produce the success, there's no reason to go to four, five, six. If you start in a failure, go back to one, two, three. Make sure you're doing that. And there are changes in life in this world system that we live in. Sometimes uh, change and some adaptation needs to happen or a different thing applied from a different direction. You might need a four, five, six. But make sure you're doing the foundational work. Make sure you're doing the basics in your life. And so Jesus repeats this two times. I'm only saying what God told me to say. I'm only speaking what God told me to speak. And these things, His commandments, He told me, they are life. I mean, where else you want to go? You don't go to the other side. And, well, we've got to have some kind of education in this world we live in, and the world has to tell us this and tell us that. Well, there, there is some little physical reality truth to that. But there's no way you should ever go to what the world tells you to do over and beyond what Jesus says to do. If it comes in contrast to what Jesus says, dude, then let it go. Let it go, because the world will drive you nuts. All right. Now then, you and I need to make a determination on this part of it. We got the right kind of thinking. Let that thinking come out your mouth. Let the right kind of thinking come out of your mouth. You need to say it. You need to speak it. You need to talk it. You can sing it. Meditate it. But make the connection from mind to mouth. Mind to mouth. Get the mind renewed. 
And it will bring about the renewal of your mouth as you allow it to come out in your sayings. If, if you keep your mind into the world, your mouth will keep speaking the world and you'll keep getting what the world gives you. And so you just got to change what you think. Some of you say, I got a rotten marriage. I wonder why you said that. Because you thought it. You got to change the way you think. Change what you say, and you'll change what you have. It just works that way. That's a million-dollar piece of advice right there. It works that way. In Psalms 119, verse 172. Turn there with me. Psalms 119, verse 172. Notice that, verse 172. Who wants me to read the whole Psalm of 119 this morning? I don't know. Brian's got his hand up. I don't know if he's ready for that. All right, Brian, just me and you be done with left. Verse 172. Man, he just couldn't quit, could he? Psalm 119, verse 172. My tongue. See, you ain't got no control over nobody else's tongue. It's your tongue. You don't know what they did to me. It don't matter. We're not trying to control their tongue. Over the years when I've done counseling, somebody would come in and, and, and say, this, 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 this is my problem. And then I would start talking to them about their problem. And they would say, well, why aren't you talking to them? I said, they ain't here. You're the one that's here. You can't help somebody that ain't here. You're the one that won't help. You got to recognize you got a tongue. It's yours and you are responsible for it. My tongue shall. King James language, strongest word you can use. Not my tongue will, but my tongue shall speak. King James language said of thy word or your word, God, God's word. For all the commandments are righteous. God ain't going to tell you nothing to say that's wrong for you to say. I mean, the Bible said in the book of Romans, chapter 4, verse 17, what is it? God is God who calls things that be not as though they were. Yet human beings say, well, I don't know if I were to call something that's not uh, as though it were. I'd be lying. I'd be lying. No. No, you wouldn't. Think God's a liar? Well, no. Of course God's not a liar. Well, that's what he does. And that's what God does. That's what we ought to do. And here it says in Psalm 119, verse 172, all his commandments are righteous. If God tells you something from the word now, don't let your imagination go nuts. We're halfway filled with the world, you know. Get a little bit of the world and a little bit of God working in and together. And all of a sudden the world took over and gave you some weirdo imagination. I'm talking about a word that's uh, imagination that is founded, thinking that it's founded in the word of God. My tongue shall speak of your word for all your commandments are righteous. I don't even have to think about it anymore. If God said do it, well, I'm going to do it. There's no question about it. If God said, this is what you do, just do it. Yeah, but what about, it don't matter about what about this, just do it. Don't you know God's smarter than you and me? <laughs> He's got wisdom, you and I only dream of. The Bible says the foolishness of God is like the wisdom of men, or the wisdom of men is like the foolishness of God. God on his most, if you could be that, as it says in First Corinthians, if God on his most foolish day would be wiser than what men are. I mean, so the wisdom of men, nothing compared to that. It's like foolish for God. But, but here, his commandments are righteous. So whatever God told me to do, that's the thing i got to do. Amen. Don't have to think about it anymore. I don't have to ask my opinion, your opinion, anybody else's opinion. I don't have to get 10,000 books to read about it. Whatever the Bible says for me to do, that's what I'll do. Because all of his commandments are righteous. Amen. Everything God told me to do, in the word of God, it's the right thing to do. Now I've got to do that. Now I make the decision, though, on my tongue. Tongue, you're only going to speak 
what God tells you to speak, what you find principled in the Word of God. That's all you're going to do. You're only going to allow yourself to think what God thinks. Now you're only going to allow yourself to speak what God speaks. That's all that's going to happen in your life, Leon. That's, it's my tongue. I can't do nothing about anybody else's tongue. But my tongue, I can say that to me. Tongue, that's what you're going to do. And what makes it so very easy is the thinker started first. If you try to start tongue, you shouldn't have said that. Tongue, you're not going to say this. And you don't change your thinking. You're going to be battling your tongue all the days of your life. That's why we put the thinking first. Change your thoughts first. Only think what God... Let be renewed in your think. Think nothing that Jesus wouldn't think. And say nothing that Jesus would not say. Look with me to uh, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Think about it like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 17. For we are not as many. There's a lot of people do this thing wrong. Okay. But we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. But as of sincerity. But as of God. In the sight of God. Speak we in Christ. Now, now, Paul is talking about some of these false preachers and prophets out there doing this, that, and other. And there's a lot of them out there, he says, that are doing that. There's many of them out there, and they're just corrupting the Word of God. They're taking it and bending it, twisting it, shaping it, whatever they want it to be, and trying to tell you that's the Word of God. And then he says this, we're not like them, because reason, one reason is because we speak in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. We speak like God's looking at us. Have you ever been around someone and someone let out a curse word and then they turn to you and say, oh, I'm sorry, pardon my French. I said, no, I didn't take French in school, but I don't remember that many one's words anyway. But anyway, pardon my French. That kind of, well, 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 actually, it's, it's not your presence or my presence that we need to have good language and decent language in. It's not that. It's in God's presence. And he said, speak like you're in the sight of God. Would you say what you are saying and what you said if you were in the presence of God? If God was standing right beside of you, God the Father on one side, Jesus on the other, the Holy Spirit staring in the front. I mean, if they were all three members of the Trinity around you, would you say some of the things you've been saying? If not, quit saying them. Make a decision, my tongue will only speak the word of Almighty God and His commandments. That's all I'm going to speak. Now, this other stuff, if it would bring offense to Jesus, some people, you know, you, you get real holy sometime on Sunday. I mean, Sunday, let's don't have, uh, you know, uh, go, go in the church, let's don't have any loud music, let's don't anybody be booming in the car, let's not be doing this, that, and everybody get your mind set right on Sunday. Uh, but other days of the week, it don't matter because, you know, somehow God sees you more on Sunday than He does Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Don't you know God can see you all seven days? He can see you in the morning, noon, night, afternoon, anytime. He sees you all the time, not just on Sunday. But we honestly need to look at our hearts and lives and say, the words that I speak, would I have said that had Jesus been standing beside of me? I mean, think about it. Somebody says, you know what? The economy is you know, really tough, and it is. Wow. 
I tell you what, the economy, I mean, ooh, my, ooh, wow, zing. It's like one of Batman comic books where it goes zing, pow, bam. This last week was a killer economically. Ooh, Lord. If you look at your IRAs or 401ks or where your retirement is at work or investments that you make, ooh, Lord. It's terrible. I mean, it's a, it's a terrible, terrible, a terrible thing. But if somebody said, well, you know what, the economy is, is, is very bad, uh, what are you going to do? If you're standing by yourself, you say, well, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. But now then, what if the same question was asked you and the Lord God of the universe was standing by your side? And they say, the economy is bad, what are you going to do? I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to tell it to him. Yeah, God, bad. I'm in the presence of God. God's going to take care of me. Worry, fret, all the no. I'm in the presence of God Almighty. He's going to take care of me. Worry? How can I worry? It's a possibility to worry in God's presence. And, and and so when we speak, we speak that same way. Not just what we might call foul language. Get rid of that. Oh, my goodness, that's kindergarten stuff. Get rid of that. Just, just be done with that stuff. But in the area of your mouth focusing on doubt, unbelief, fear, and failure. In other words, when you can't speak a positive word to save your life. And when you can't speak faith, you've got real problems. Because your life goes in the direction of what you are speaking. And when you're speaking gloom and doom and doubt and fear and failure and barely make it, can't do it, and it's all hurting me. When you go in that direction, that's the life you get. It's being produced in your life. The Bible says in the book of James, I saw this a couple of days ago. In the book of James chapter 1, the Bible talks about when lust has conceived, it brings forth death. When lust has conceived, it brings forth death. In the book of James chapter 1. Lust, a desire, a thought, in, in that application that's wrong. You can lust after good things. But evil lust is usually what the Bible talks about. There's sometimes it's, it's a good thing. But usually it's an evil thing. And when that thinking is in your mind, your heart, your mouth, when lust hath conceived, a conception has to take place. What is a conception? A conception physically is when a husband and a wife come together and they are made one. Right? And they are one and produce that child. Two persons come together, become one, and produce a child. Now, the Bible says in the book of James, chapter 1, also about verse 7 or 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Don't let him think he'll receive anything from God. As long as we are double-minded, two sets of thoughts, two sets of words, we are not one. Conception doesn't take place until you become one. You must let your mind become one with God and His Word. And your mouth become one with your mind that is focused on God and His Word. At that point, you conceive and bring forth. That's why that when some people... I went out there and said it twice and ain't got nothing. <laughs> it is so strange. It was so strange. Hey, did you do that when you went to work? Did you go to work on Monday morning at the new place? 
And about 10.30 in the morning, you went to the supervisor and said, I've been working here two and a half hours. I ain't got paid nothing yet. <laughs> you didn't do that. You didn't do that. You have to not only just say it, not just flippantly lighthearted. Or, oh, the pastor said I didn't say it. Not just that. You're saying it because it's in your mind, and your mind has been renewed, and you're filled with it. Your mind is renewed based on the Word of God, and it has become one with you. No longer double-minded. become one with you, and you now bring forth, you now conceive that thought and that word that you've been speaking and thinking, and it brings forth in your life. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth death. That's the bad side. But when the Word of God is conceived, it brings forth life, as Jesus said, life everlasting. That's as simple as it gets. That's the full understanding of that principle. It is so easy. All you've got to do is just do it. It is not hard at all. If I can do it, you can do it. Anybody can do it. All right. Look, 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 notice this. We speak as if we were in God. Now look at Psalms 119, verse 46. Psalms 119, verse 46. Let's go back there. Psalms chapter 119, verse 46. David said this, I will. Before we read what David said, he said, my tongue shall speak of your word. Everybody say, my tongue shall speak of your word. Make that covenant. My tongue. Give an example. What do you say when, you know, you got financial difficulties, problems, bills coming against you? What do you say? Well, the Bible says in the book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, but my God shall supply all my need according to riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's what we say. My God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory. Not mine down here, but his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. By Christ Jesus. I'm one in Christ Jesus. And then I receive because that's where my faith stands. It doesn't stand on these other things that the world offers me or comes against me with. But it's based on that word. And so my tongue shall speak of your word. My tongue shall speak of your word. The Bible says, Exodus 15, verse 26, what do you do when things come against you? Well, we speak what the word says. That if you meditate upon the things of God, it's talked about in the book of Joshua, it's talked about in the Psalms, and we finally end up in Exodus 15, 26. The Lord God is the Lord God that heals me. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is my healer. Psalms 103, verse 3 and 4. We do not forget all of his benefits. We, we believe that he forgives us of all our iniquities and heals all of our diseases. That's what we speak. That's what we say. That's what we constantly affirm continually in our speaking and our thinking. Now then, David's, or, or, David said this in Psalms 119, verse 46. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings. I will not be ashamed. Some people let the world shut them down. The world is running around hollering, screaming, and crying, and moaning, and groaning. You know, all these kind of things they're doing. All upset, all bent out of shape, scared to death, all this kind of stuff. About stuff going on, things that has went on, this stuff. But when they bring that verbiage to the Christian community, then what do you say? Do you back off of it? Or do you stand strong on the Word of God? David said, you bring me in front of the king. I won't be ashamed. I am not ashamed. Not ashamed. I'll speak your testimonies even before the king. In other words, President Joe Biden came and, and, and stood here right now before me while we certainly ought to honor and respect our President of the United States. If he comes here in front of me, not going to change the Word of God for him. No. no I'm not going to be ashamed in this world. Even if it's before a king, we are not going to be ashamed. I, I mean, you know what? When, when I die and when you die, we're gone. I'm standing before God myself, not anybody else. 
And what a shame it would be that you stood before God and God looked over your past life here on planet Earth and said, you know what, over here, you, you were ashamed of me. Over here, you were fearful to speak. And all this stuff, you were the biggest closet Christians. You know what? The gay community talked about them coming out. There are a lot of Christians who need to come out of the closet. Amen? Absolutely. Come on. Come on now. Don't be afraid. What they might say about me. They're saying it about you anyway. They might think I'm crazy. They already think you're crazy. I mean, it's just an unreal thing. I mean, they told me many, many years ago when we founded the church in October 12th of 1982, had our first service, people, oh, people, friends, Christian friends I had, they just went haywire. A lot of them went nuts and, and called us all kind of names in the book and all this, that, and other. But, but no, 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 we're going to stand on God's word. If God said do what we did, and he did, and we did, then we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to stand on what God's Word tells us to do, what His Word plainly says and what He speaks right there. Don't, back, don't be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed of it. If somebody can be where you work and they can holler out GD this and GD that and to the top of their voice and pitch a mad fit like nobody on planet Earth has ever pitched, can't you stand up for righteousness where you work just the same? Sure we can. Sure we can. I mean, that ought to be the time that you really stand out. And show up during that time. Don't be ashamed. Because what happens is that if you let fear back you off in this world from speaking the word of God, then the devil's just got that foothold in you and he's going to find another one and find another. He'll begin backing you off here, backing you off there. He'll finally back you off in your prayer, back you off in your praise, back you off in your church, back you off everywhere. And if he just, you know, he don't just take a little bit of ground and stop. He'll take a little bit of ground and the next thing he wants is more ground. And so don't even be ashamed in, in, in front of kings. Now, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. Let me show you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. Notice. We have the same spirit of faith. Now, notice when you think about this word spirit of faith, it, we believe, but we don't just come down here and say, okay, I see God's word on that, and I, I believe the word on that, and I believe this. Ah, uh, that's a little bit of what's going on. But that's not it. It's a spirit of faith. It's an alignment with God, a relationship with God, a presence with God, till your whole thinking and demeanor, your life, just has a spirit of faith about it. You might even think about it like this. It's a spirit of can-do about it. A spirit of I'm going to make it, if that's the case. Or whatever we, circumstance we're against. You know, you know. The doctor told me one time, years ago, I mentioned some of that to you. But when they say stuff like this, you know, you're going to die, boy, and this is it. I don't know. It just don't feel right to me. It just, it just ain't in my spirit. I, no, it just does not. That just don't set right. But I say, you're going down, boy. No, it just don't feel like I'm going. I, you know, I'm not talking about feelings. I'm talking about in the spirit of my mind, in the spirit of who I am. No, I, I, I don't see that. Oh, I can't see that. No, I can't feel it. No, can't go there. There's a spirit of faith. It's just that general attitude of faith in your life that once your mind gets renewed and you're speaking the same thing, speaking the words of God, then you've got that spirit of faith about you. But now notice, he said, we having the same spirit of faith. And he's actually quoting a, a, a scripture in Psalms. But in other words, like the Old Testament, people had faith. I mean, imagine when Joshua stood up at the sun and said, Son, stand still. Let's not move anymore because as long as the sun's up, we win the battle. So we just need a few more hours. And he got another day out of it. And in that day, he, he won the battle. 
And, and, and so when he, that's the spirit of faith. We got a spirit of faith like that. We got a spirit of faith like that. We have the same spirit of faith. According as it is written. He's going on to something else. I'm about to do a play on words. Forgive me, but I, I know it's covered. It's a little bit different here in the strict exegesis of the text. Verse 14, uh, verse 13. But notice that we have the same spirit of faith according as it is written. My faith is according to as it is written. My faith is not according to what they say. Our faith is not according to what I used to think. My faith is according to what is written. That, that, that shapes and gives the perimeters of my faith. I believed, therefore I have spoken. I believed and therefore I have spoken. I believed and now I have spoken. That's what their spirit of faith was. Now notice, we also believe and therefore speak. In other words, the Word of God's given us examples that they believed and they spoke. And now what are we to do? Follow the example of the faith of Abraham, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. What do we do? We also believe and therefore speak. I believe and speak too. We believe and speak. And I found this out that I know we're talking about the good things of God and the Word of Almighty God. But a lot of people do that on the other side too, on the devil's side. They'll hear what the devil says. They believe that speak that too. And that produces fear in their life. They're scared to death of all the things of this world and this life. And it's about to kill them. But they're about to die and all that kind of stuff. Why? Because the world told me this. What's that got to do with it? Well, that's what they said. Well, do you have to do everything they say? Do you have to believe everything they say? Do you have to repeat everything they say? You do that, you're going to be in big, 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 big trouble. Big trouble. And so here, we believe, according as it is written, and we also speak. Notice, it is a spirit of faith. Let me show you something. This blew me away. Look at Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17. This spirit of faith. Somebody said, well, well, you know, what about all this faith stuff? I don't know about this faith. Faith, if you've got a subject or a topic that you should be studying as a Christian more than any others, it's faith. And as people have criticized the study of faith, teaching and preaching of faith, over the years like you wouldn't believe. But keep this in mind. All those people that criticize the study of faith, the preaching and teaching of faith, are usually a bunch of doubters. Ain't made it nowhere with God. Ain't going nowhere with God. Mad half the time because they didn't. Don't understand. Don't know why they didn't. Just in this world of confusion, a ball of confusion. Who did that temptation? Ball of confusion. You know, just a ball of confusion. That's what the world is today. But anyway, that's where they're at. There's moving along those lines. Don't let that crowd change the way you think. Don't let them change what you believe. Now then, there is an example in the Bible. Look at Matthew 17. There's an example in the Bible where Jesus did a miracle for a man who had a little boy who was a lunatic, sorely vexed, falling into the fire and into the water, all kind of physical problems. The issue is, in Matthew chapter 17, the Father says to the disciples, and remember Jesus has just been up on top of the mountain to transfiguration. He's just been up there with Peter, James, and John. But the rest of those disciples have been down on the ground waiting around. And you've got to realize that sometimes. Some people go to the mountaintop with you, some people won't go. There's 12 disciples, but only three of them up there went all the way up. 
That meant the other nine stayed down. Most of them didn't go up with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. But he's been up in all the glory, so when he comes back down, there's a turmoil down there. And what happened is the man and a bunch of crowd around said, what's wrong? And they said, the problem is, you know, your nine disciples are left here at the foot of the hill. Those folks, we, we brought my little boy to him to get the devil cast out of him, get him healed, and, and they couldn't do it. Look what it says, Matthew chapter 17, verse 16. I'm sorry, Matthew 17, 16. And I brought him, the little boy, to your disciples, and they could not cure him. Now, this is very, very sad that they could not cure him. What makes it even more sad is this. They could have cured him. What makes it more sad is this. They had what it takes to cure him. They had been ordained of God to cure him. They had been given the gifts of God to cure him. But here the man says they can't do it. I know that they can. I know that they could have done it. Now, they didn't do it. And the man says they can't do it. I know they can. How do you know, Leon? How do you know? You're in Matthew 17. We all learned to count years ago. Go back chapter 16. Go back chapter 15. Go back chapter 14. Go back chapter 13. Go back chapter 12 and 11. And you finally get to chapter 10. How many will agree? That chapter 10 is at least seven chapters from chapter 17. Amen? If you get all the way back to chapter 10, verse 1, the Bible says, When he had called on him his 12 disciples, the nine at the base of the hill, and the three that went on top of the Mount Transfiguration, all 12 of them, the Bible says, He gave them power. How many believes that? Say amen. He gave them power. For what? against unclean spirits to cast them out. They had power to cast out devils and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. So now then, how many would agree with me that they had the power to get that devil out? How many agree with me they had the power to heal that little boy? Ain't no doubt about it. They had the power. But yet the man says they can't cure him. Now then, they, the first thing Jesus says, notice this. The first thing Jesus says in this account, in verse 17, Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless. Somebody said, why couldn't you get him out? Oh, faithless. You can't get him out because you don't believe that you can, even though you can with these disciples. You can't heal a little boy because you don't believe you can heal a little boy, even though I just gave you power to heal a little boy. And he also went other places and healed people all over the place. And now you, you don't believe you can anymore. Jesus didn't say, I now re-give you power all over again. He didn't say that. He said, you boys ain't got no faith. The de this little tough devil they come up against right here, and this devil huffed and puffed and about to kill this little boy and throw him at the ground and wallow and foam. And I, oh, I mean, boy, you know, it scared most people around him for sure. And I guess a little bit of that fear must have went in these disciples. And I don't guess I can do nothing with this either. Over the, even though they got the power. They got it and they can do it, but they don't believe they can do it. Just let that sink in. They got it, they can do it, but they don't believe they can do it and it don't get done. How many of us stop at that third area that I just mentioned there on my four-fingered hand? 
They don't believe they can do it. Some people waiting on God to come down to do what they already can do. Already been empowered to do. But don't believe they can. Don't believe they can. One. Everybody say one. Jesus said to them. Faithless, perverse generation. How long shall I be with you? Bring them here to me. Jesus was not of the same mindset they were. Although the Bible tells in the book of Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus had laid down all those things that pertain to God. Not, you know, being equal to God, thought it not a problem to lay those things aside and, and be made in the form and fashion of a man and came to this earth and lived like a man lived. And as an example unto us, as 1 Peter 2 tells us, he came and did that as an example to us. He said, bring him to me. Jesus has a completely different mindset than they got. He said, bring him to me. They can't do it. They got the power to do it. Well, Jesus got the same power he gave them. That's what he gave them, some of his power. And so he, he said, well, bring it to me. I can do it. Bring it to me. Bring it to them. No, we can't do it. We tried. We can't get him out. Jesus said, faithless generation. One time. Look as it goes on down. They, they get around, they, you know, verse 18, Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him. Child was cured from that very hour. In other words, he took care of the situation. Verse 19, then came the disciples, Jesus apart, and got inside them and said, now, how come we couldn't get him out? Now, Jesus already told them they were faithless. And they're still wondering why they can't do it. Some people hear the answer but don't want to accept it. What did Jesus say? Verse 20, Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. Two times. First time, you're faithless. Second time, you've now got unbelief. Which for our purposes here, just sort of think about those as the same thing. Ain't got no faith. Ain't got no belief. That's two times Jesus told them that. You're faithless and you're not believing. Now then, I even saw that. Look at Mark chapter 9. This is what is astounding. Mark chapter 9. I quoted this for years and didn't know what I'm about to tell you. In Mark chapter 9. And long about that, that chapter, the same little boy, or Mark tells the same story. Verse 18 of Mark 9, 18. Whethersoever the spirit takes him, he tears him, he foams at the mouth, he gnashes with his teeth, he pines away, he spake to his disciples, and they should cast him out, and they could not. Now, they could, couldn't they? But they didn't. Okay? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, you're faithless. Jesus said, because of your unbelief. Now, notice he said, verse 19, he answered them again and said, oh, faithless generation. He's just recounting what he said the other time. Same thing. So we got two times he said, you're faithless and because of your unbelief. Now, keep on reading. He finally gets to the little boy and to the man. And the man says in verse 22, oftentimes it casts him into the fire and to the waters to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. The man said, Jesus, if you can do anything, help me. My little boy's in a bad way here. Help me. We need him healed. He's going to kill himself one day in this fire and the water and stuff. And drown himself. He's going lunatic, going crazy. Help him. Look here. For the third time, verse 23, Jesus said to me, if you can believe, all things are possible to him to believe. One account, they got the power. The world says they can't do it. They didn't do it. Jesus says your problem is... You're faithless, you have unbelief, and you're not believing. Three times he talks about faith. Three times he talks about faith in that story. And people say that you preach on faith too much. 
No, tell it to Jesus. He knew the power. He knew the secret of that thing. Because so, I can stand up here and talk to I'm blue in the face. And, but until we actually get our mind renewed, get our mouth renewed, and start believing the things we're thinking and saying, which you will, which you start thinking and saying, once that takes place in your life, you'll be able to do everything God said you could do. Every single thing God said you'll be able to do, you'll be able to do. You'll be sick and you'll get healed. You'll be in a place of poverty and you'll move from poverty to prosperity. It's not based on your gifts, your talents, your abilities, but based on your faith. Now, remember, faith without works is dead. There will be actions to your faith. I'm not saying there's not. But you'll never have those actions to your faith until you believe it. What do you tell people sometimes? Why don't you do this about, uh, you know, bettering your life? And they say, well, what's the use? What did they just say? I don't believe anyway. What's the use? What's the use? And you've got to get past the what's the uses in your life. Or you get to a place, of, I've never been able to do anything anyway. Or, you know, you might say something get a few years on your life. I'm too old to do that. Or I don't have the education to do it. Or you might even say, I'm too young to do that. I mean, I didn't say that when I was, you know, 27 years old. Founded this church at 27. I didn't say, I'm too young to do that. No. God said, do it. I, didn't, I never even thought about my age. Not one time did I ever think about my age. A little whippersnapper out there talking like I'm talking now at that age. I just didn't dream of it. I didn't even dream. That at that point, when it's founded a church and there's nobody out there to help us, not one single person on planet Earth to help us, nobody. We did it all at the leadership of God. I never even thought about needing anybody else because I knew I had God. I knew what he'd said. I believed what he said. And though you face your challenges, your difficulties, and those kind of things in life, it doesn't matter. As long as you know what God told you to do and you have faith in that, you'll keep on moving. You'll keep going left, right, straight, down, whatever it takes. You're going to go the direction that God has told you to go. But you have to apply yourself and build the faith that you have in your life. Saying it is part of that. Last verse of Scripture. I'm oh, done. Look at Romans 10, verse 8. Romans 10, verse 8. But what saith it? The word is close to you. Where is it at? Two places. In your mouth and in your heart. Leave out either one of those places for the word to exist in your life and there will be no successes in your life. If you're all mouth and you can just talk a good thing but you don't even believe what you're talking to yourself, you're not going to go anywhere with God. On the other hand, if you believe things in your heart but you are timid and fearful and shy and you will not dare confess it and speak it out. You're not going anywhere with God. It takes both of those things. Believing and speaking. And so that's why I said the words close to you even in your mouth and in your heart. What is it? It is the word of faith. That's the word. Three times. Faith. We looked at Jesus in that example. It's the word of faith where Paul says that's what we preach. That's what we preach around here. Word of faith. There's a lot of people who try to condemn you. Oh, are you part of that word of faith movement? Oh, yeah, I'm part of the word of faith movement. I'm, why? They say, who's your leaders? I said, Paul. Amen. They usually want to say some of our good friends, you know, like Brother Fred Price or uh, Brother Copeland or Brother Hagin, something like that. And we respect all of them, love them all. I sure do. I really, really, really do. But they're not the leaders of it. Paul, Jesus, God, that's the leaders of this thing. Amen. Those wonderful men and women that I've talked about, they just got turned on to the message. Amen? Amen? Because if you, if you still, if it's some man that did this for you, did that for you, you need to go on a step further. Keep on going until you find out it was God and find out it was Jesus. You do that. 
then you'll have success in your life. The word of faith in your heart and in your mouth. So speak it and say it to practice the words of Jesus. You begin believing the words of Jesus and talking the words of Jesus, Jesus will show up. He'll show up in your life. He'll do some wonderful stuff for you. Stand up on your feet right now. Let's go before the Lord in Jesus' name. Father God, hallelujah. Let's not be timid. Let's don't care if there's, uh, you know, these kings or presidents that are around or uh, people that are around. It doesn't matter. We're not ashamed. We're going to speak the word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Stretch your hands toward heaven. Pray this prayer for me. Say, Dear Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I thank you for the word of the living God that you have spoke to me. In my heart, in my life, I decree, I declare, I shall believe your word, your testimonies, your commandments. And I shall speak your word, your testimony, and your commandments. And I shall see the word in my heart and in my mouth come together as one and produce in my life all the blessings of God in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless in Jesus' name. Do it. Do it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this faith-filled message. Please connect with us at our website, gospeltabernaclechurch.com so we can continue to be a part of your faith walk. And if you're listening today and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, now is the time to do that. Now, today, is the day of salvation. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Father, I believe you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins on the cross. And you have raised him from the dead that I might be alive in him. Jesus, I confess you are Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome. You're now in the family of God. You're a child of God. Connect with us. Let us know if you prayed that prayer. We want to be right there alongside you as you walk out this journey of faith in Christ. God bless you.